I have no idea what we're going to get into, but we're just going to get into some stuff and just chat. And that's going to be kind of how it is. Sounds good. Let's just get into it then, man. <laughs> um, have you ever seen the program, uh, now I'm going to try to remember what it is, um, uh, Late Night with Craig Ferguson? Yes. So, yeah. you know, he had, does a thing where he just throws away his notes and he just kind of has a conversation with people. Yeah, he just I'm not as up. charming, uh, nor as maybe arguably good looking, but... Uh, <laughs> we're gonna... I don't know, you're a pretty good looking dude, uh, man. Thanks. I mean, if it's... If it had to be, if I had to choose between yourself and Craig Ferguson, I, I would think I would rather choose you over Craig Ferguson. Oh, come on. Yeah. You're just saying that because you're here. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe. It depends on <laughs> if Craig Ferguson offered me a lot of money. I might be swayed. You're assuming money. he has money. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is true. I mean, he does throw away his notes. All right. Maybe they're written on money. I don't know. They probably are. That's how all those Hollywood people are. They write like handwriting notes and sketches on $100 bills. Well, paper is so expensive, right? So, eh. it's so illogical. So, uh, I think you and I have already some pretty obvious things in common, uh, which we've dove into, right? Like mm-hmm. we each have a love of photography. I think that's pretty, absolutely, pretty clear. And uh, some design work too. I've been told often that I would be a good, good, good designer, but I have absolutely zero experience with it. So, you've been kind of showing me some things the last few days, which have been super interesting. Yeah, and part of that, I think, is just really getting into it. And once you make that one thing, you know, for me it was um, starting with making my my band in high school, our first album cover, right? And then later on it was window blinds and customizing windows. And then in college my buddy was like, you know, you can just do the whole thing yourself in Linux, right? Like you can make all the icons and the toolbars and the launchers. And that's what got me excited about it, Uh and so that's why I've just kept doing design for this long. So that so customizing your own Linux interface was one of your earlier projects. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Tell me a little bit more about that. Like you had a friend. This was a friend who had experience with this, obviously. So uh, my roommate in high school, uh, well, out, right out of high school, my roommate Jay, um, he was really into Slackware, and he started with Slackware. Um, I was running a Windows box. It was a AMD K6 Athlon processor. I think it was like, I don't remember if it was, I think it was 350 megahertz, 400 megahertz. That's all like you need, that. right? That's all you needed then. Uh, I mean, it ran uh, ran Quake great. Nice. Right? That's all I needed. Um, it ran Quake and it ran, you know, the Adobe stuff that I needed to run for, for school. And then, you know, after looking at his, ses- his setup for a while, and I think he was running, it was an early version of KDE. Um, and I was like, oh, man, that's pretty cool. That's different. What is that? And then he kind of, oh, dude, this is Linux. You know, this is what I knew he worked on servers. And I knew that he primarily worked on, I think it was an AS400 uh, servers administrating like Lotus Domino notes and all these other kind of. The early app- birds, right? Yeah, the early birds. Um, and he's like, yeah, man, you want to get into it? You know, I've got the disk right here. So he gave me a copy of Slackware. I struggled for about a week trying to get it up and running. And ended up going to buy a, I had to pick up, this is in the day of like AGP graphics, but they weren't quite really supported under Linux yet. And I had an AGP card. It worked great under Windows, but not necessarily under Linux. But So I had to go buy a PCI-based uh, Trident video card that was 8 megabytes uh, of RAM on it just to be able to install and get an interface set up on Slackware. And, of course, you had to compile everything on Slackware. So doing that on a 350, 400 oh, yeah. system 
took forever. So after about a month of playing with it and getting help from him, and you know, my hardware is obviously different. And back then, you didn't really have the resources you have today to help kind of debug your own system, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it was one of those things that just kind of evolved into um, uh, pigeonholing yourself down. You know, this this well of Linux knowledge and trying to learn all these things really quick. And I just asked him, I was like, dude, is there something else that isn't Slackware? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, there actually is, man. Let's go to, I think it was the Comp USA. Uh, we walk in the door, and back then uh, they had like these big metal bins up front, and it was just bargain software. So it could be like super old DOS games. It could be you know old Windows software, DOS software, Linux. Um, and so I picked up my first copy of Linux, which was uh, SUS uh, 5.3 was the first boxed copy that I, I bought myself. Um, went home, got it installed, got it set up. Uh, early KDE, uh, and it was fun. You know, I started that's and that's when I started like tweaking on it. Once I got to that point, uh, I started working on uh, getting everything out. And back then, instead of dual booting, I would physically swap hard drives out. It was easier to right? boot into. Yeah, it was easier. Yeah. You know, I would. Or you, they, when you get that Lilo error, whenever you boot or something, it's like, oh, shh. yeah. <laughs> uh, so it was. It was just easier to just physically unhook and rehook the machine up. So I would unhook the Linux machine, fire it up on Windows, do some design work there, bring all those files back over on a zip disk back into Linux. Uh, a zip disk that was running over a parallel port, I think, so it was incredibly slow. Uh, and then just, you know, worked with it like that and then, you know, ended up just, the next one was Debian. You know, we're like, oh, if, if, you, li- if you like SUS, you'll really like Debian. You should check it out. Uh, it's a little bit easier. And at the time, it was really about... Um, Installing packages uh, and, and aptitude uh, was really the way to have a nice in-curses view of the applications and get information about the applications that you wanted to install. And so that's really what led me into Linux and has also, you know, uh, given me an opportunity to work in design and do what I do and still uh, enjoy Linux. And I've, I've contributed to a few projects here and there uh, that are no longer available. Um and through the uh, Jupiter Broadcasting community, there's been people that have done their own spins, and you know, hey man, can I help you out with some, you know, some some graphics, some some backgrounds, or whatever it may be. And so that's uh, that's really where me and Linux and design, I guess, kind of nice. Yeah, there's a a, a long history there of of both of those together. Um, you mentioned you were tinkering for like a month trying to get this thing working. You even bought an early graphics card to try to get all of this going. What what about Linux was really hooking you and, and getting you to work that hard to get it going? As you progress one step to the next, you you build your confidence and you boost your confidence. And it's it's like, you know, whenever you tinker with anything, you know, if you build that one thing and it blows up in your face the first time, but then that next time you get one step closer and you get one step closer. And to me, it was that draw. Like, yes, of course, the first, like my first month of Linux, I fell on my face so many times. I broke all of the things, and I still do that today quite often. <laughs> but uh, that's part, for me, that's part of the journey of Linux. That's part of the fun of Linux is is messing it up and learning how to fix it and understanding it. Um, it makes you a better contributor to the community. Um, even if you're, Even if you only contribute by trying to assist someone on a forum or something like that. Um, you know, so for me, it was really that drive to continue to go 
because it was interesting. And you're like, it's like a puzzle. You unlock a little piece, and then you unlock another little piece, and uh, you learn how to probe, you know, your hardware to find out what everything is and where it's assigned, and you know how to actually work with that hardware and bring it into the system, and you know, put kernel modules in place for things. Um, so to me, it's just you're you're always learning, and you're always I always had fun with it. I know that's probably a sadist thing to say because some people would <laughs> like my dad would be like, "Why would you ever do this, son? Why would you waste four hours of your life sitting in front of this terminal watching some you know code compile in front of your face, yeah. eating pizza rolls, you know?" But that's that was that was my sense of fun back then. Right. So. But I can totally relate in the sense that um, if you have that like tinkering mind or that endless curiosity, then this is almost like a game, right? It's a giant game of Linux that just almost never ends because there's always something more to learn. Once you get a, a level up, you realize there's so much more to learn. Well, and uh, then it's so progressive now. You know, Linux has grown in leaps and bounds that just to stay even on top of the current trends in Linux, you know, I'm almost 40. I'm feeling 40, right? Like I'm right. still like, I'm still the guy that like types apt get update right and upgrade like i'm still that dude like i don't i don't bash it i don't i mean i don't script it i you know i do it all manually yeah. um but that's because i love to do that i love to type those phrases it's weird and it's no one should practically do it but uh but it's almost like they become a part of you right? it, it like it's, a, it's a it's a defining factor of your history at this point right exactly. you've been on linux for more than you haven't been on linux and so um, it's you and I, and, I, and that's and that's what I love about Linux. I think that most people that get into it, you know, are like-minded people in that regard. Their search for curiosity, you know, uh, these same these same types of people. It's it's no surprise that a lot of these people work in aerospace, right? Right, because that same sense of curiosity is there uh, in that job. Uh, and if you look, you know, across the board, I mean, uh, really, a lot of people that are into Linux that I've been able to, you know meet at conferences and stuff have really interesting day jobs that may not pertain to Linux, but have, I could see how that same level of passion they have for Linux connects them to what they do as their day job. So are the, there are these shared elements that absolutely, if you're just looking on the surface, you don't typically see, but if, if you start diving in, especially if you have experience with it yourself, you start realizing, oh yeah, all these traits that make us Linux fans um, seem to just spread out whether it be photography or design or a lot of, you know, this aerospace stuff or lots of just, you know, we, we were talking to someone uh, about Merger FS and it was kind of the same. You know, like I saw myself in that person in that he is just tinkering. Um, right. He happens to be tinkering in a certain field and I happen to be tinkering in a totally different field and you tinker in other fields. But man, it's it's all related, isn't it? And, and, and what's cool is like, exactly, it is all related. What's cool is whenever all of that flows into a project three years down the road that you're working on that, you know, might be a server that you're setting up for your photography work that you're storing your files on and you choose merger, you know, because of the features that it's developed. Um, so I think that it's, it's interesting to watch all of these projects spider out and do their own thing but then they all manage to kind of come full circle and come back into Linux and fold themselves into Linux and benefit you without you really even ever knowing that they're there, you know? Yeah, so many projects are interrelated in ways that 
aren't necessarily at the surface, right? Like I think we're a bit privileged in that with JB we get access to some people and uh, have conversations that aren't necessarily public. But you start to realize that there's people dabbling all over the place and it's all related. And and there's – despite it being such a big community – uh, it feels like a tiny community at the same time, right? Like there's there's some really cool links that get made um, between projects that are seemingly unrelated. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know the the explosion now of of, of GitHub um, in in places like that uh, really has made development of open source software so much easier, uh, discoverability so much easier. And quite often you'll hear on the JB network where we're referencing these tools or those tools. Quite often those picks come from projects that are on GitHub, you know. And uh, if we can maybe shine a little light on that project and get a little love to that project because we think it's neat, um, not only do I feel like I'm passing along a little bit of knowledge and helping someone out possibly, but I'm also helping out that dev uh, that might be getting feedback to improve that product that they're working on. That didn't really exist in the early days of Linux. Right. There wasn't that, you know. Uh, if it wasn't in the repository, then you're pulling down a tarball from some obscure website, unpacking a tarball, you know, compiling it, you know, source, and no one should have to do that if they don't want to. I mean, it, if you've never done it, I encourage you to do it. But with today's Linux, you don't need to. Yeah, it's it's similar to the the whole arch debate right like everyone should build arch once just to understand it but as a standard workflow um you'd be kind of insane to do that constantly right? yeah and i mean in that same vein i mean you, you've got if you wanted to take it a step further you could go with linux from scratch like right. if you really really gen 2. wanted to get into it yeah you could linux from scratch gen 2 arch um but what's cool about arch you know, while I don't use it and I wouldn't necessarily use it in a production environment myself, um, the documentation is phenomenal. Their wiki is phenomenal. Uh, and they, they put a lot of work into that. And you can, you can see how much the community loves that distribution um, because they've put a, a ton, a ton of work into that. And in most cases, the documentation is written by like a professional level technical writer. Like it's it's thorough, it's clean, it's clear, it's you know, the, everything is cohesive, and you know it 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 covers everything that you could want to do in Arch. What's lovely about it too, I would say, is that it has such a large user base that it it doesn't really go stale. Um, you know, little issues uh, or outdated entries get sort of flushed out pretty quickly, and uh, to the point where I I do run Arch on my main laptop, but I am supporting lots of people who don't run Arch. So I run into error messages all the time on Ubuntu's and, and Mints and things like that. Um, but I now go to the Arch Wiki first for most problems. Uh, and then I'll go to general web searches after simply because it's such a great resource. And, and 80% of the time you can find at least little nuggets that will give you parts of your answers. Yeah, and, and you know, their forums and stuff too are, are, are pretty active. And, you know, if you... If there is an interest in something that's not covered, there's likely someone who is willing to either teach you about it or write documentation to put it up there for everyone else. And ideally, that's what you want to do. You want to continue, to, I think, to build that documentation so that the next person, you know, stepping in um, that's new, they can, you know, hit the ground running. Um, and also, 
you know, n- no real Linux distributions. Like my first copy of SUSE, no one ships a manual anymore, you know? So to be able to have that documentation that you could offline if you wanted to right. and pull the whole wiki down um, is really valuable uh, in that it's easy to discover, it's easy to find. I wish more distributions would do it that way. Uh, there is, I mean, not that there aren't distributions that, that are out there that do great documentation as well, um, but I really wish that we would get back to the age of having a manual. You know, if you're going to ship a long-term release of something, um, then you kind of have an idea going into it what the software you're releasing is capable of doing. And if you can document that and make that discoverability of that documentation very easy, um, it's you're going to benefit your user base and, and your user base is going to, I think, respond positively for that for that information yeah um i find even ubuntu for instance lots of the documentation tends to be um on question like uh, q a forums now where you run into something that you want to do and you find it because someone else asked the question previously and then thankfully there are some people with generosity who have helped solve those problems but i agree with you like a there's something about um well laid out not even instructions, but just like a method of helping you understand the system that um, gives you more power more quickly. Yeah, well, one thing I think about the Ubuntu documentation, because I've run into the same exact thing, right? Where you're, where you're searching for something, uh, and often it leads you to Q&A, uh, where, which is usually generally, I mean, it's, it's pretty helpful, right? You can get a solution to, to that problem pretty easily. It can also be misguiding. It can be very misguiding. And you're taking the word of someone who has just posted down their solution, right? To their very specific environment. So, and is that solution the right solution? Does it work? Yes. But could you, by just following some random guide... Lower the security of your system. Oh, easily. Or how many times? You know, how many new users have just copy pasted? Right. I think they all have. I know I have. Oh, I, absolutely. Yep, same. You know, and and even as a, a more seasoned user, I've copy pasted off of the internet for something that I'm trying we to know get right. better. And yet, and we we do we do know better, <laughs> and we we shouldn't without at least understanding the full extent of the commands that we're running. Right. Um, but with something like a wiki and that sort of a documentation. It feels like it's coming from the face of that distribution, right? And people that care about it, they're not going to give you misleading RMRF information yeah, yeah. to ruin your system. That they're actually going to, and if there was someone that released bad information, it would quickly be altered, edited, and fixed. You know, so to have that without having to hunt for it and without having to possibly run something that's sketchy that you don't really fully understand, but I've got this paper for college that I need to write and this thing isn't working and I really I need it right now, it, yeah. then that's what you're going to do, you know, and you installed this PPA that, you know, it, it, there's just so many different levels to that, that I think having that, having that documentation and being able to, to use, uh, the arch wiki for things like that. And there are other really great, uh, there's other really great documentation out there. I think, um, Seuss is, is actually still the last distribution to ship with a manual, uh, I'd love to buy a copy, but it's in German. 
Oh. Oh. <laughs> so <laughs> that's another common problem, right? Because our, our software is all over the world. Um, it, it sometimes has that issue that the um, originators aren't necessarily speaking all of the languages. Well, necessarily they're not. And so translation um, is such an important aspect of both development and documentation. And uh, it seems to me like documentation is such a wonderful way for new Linux users to contribute. Absolutely. Um, You know, you don't necessarily need to have a really in-depth idea of how the program even works. You don't necessarily need to have any development um, experience. But documentation, especially from a user's perspective, is such, uh, would be such a rich gift for someone to give to the community because um, you can... Right. Everybody's looking for this. You're helping sort of your your peers. Yeah. I mean, you're helping your peers. And I think most importantly, uh, you're helping yourself to comprehend what the subject you're talking right. about. Right. Like you, you by by writing it down and explaining it uh, is going to give you that little little more confidence in what you're saying. Right. And it's going to it is going to help. um boost you to write that next level of documentation that maybe that step up that harder one and to progressively get better but all while understanding the documentation that you are writing or how you are contributing and absolutely i think that's one of the best ways if you're new to linux and you really want to contribute um you know jump in there do some documentation if you're a photographer that's just out in the wings and you want to try linux and you want to try a dark table or um any of the other solutions out there for under Linux, get out there, do it, and then process your photos in Linux. If process them in Lightroom, process them in Paint, however you want to process them. But maybe you know, reach out to one of these distros and say, mm-hmm. "Hey, do you guys want some wallpapers? I made, they, yeah. you know, I took some photos." Um, so there's plenty of ways that even if you're not into programming, even if you're not, a, you know, just totally into the command line that scares you, there's so many other ways to contribute to projects. Um, that you're kind of doing yourself a disservice if you don't, because that only brings you closer to that project and makes you feel more a part of that community and gives you a sense of pride. You know, the the first time your desktop wallpaper is in a distribution that goes out to thousands of people. I mean, it's one of the best feelings you'll ever have in your life, you know? Um, And so there, there's plenty of ways that you can contribute that don't have to be documentation. um, If you're not good at writing, um, they could be, you know, it could be design work. Um, it could be uh, statistical, analytical work. Um, oh, that's you know, fascinating. I never thought of that. It, it could, there's there's yeah. a, just a myriad of stuff that's of out there, right, that, that you could really help help out with, um, even if it's just helping organizational tasks. I suppose if you look at a distribution or any piece of software really as a business in the sense that we classically look at businesses, they have all these sort of necessary um tasks, but you can almost see them almost as careers as well, right? They have these different disciplines in which um, for most software, the technical disciplines get filled first because that's where the the greatest user base is and most of um, the interest stems from in creating software at first. But um, in terms of like design work, well, every single application can benefit from a UI designer or, you know, some graphic designer in general. And, uh, And that's where at least that I've seen, there's a little bit of a lack or at least an area where people can really um, help and benefit the community in general and, and, and a variety of pieces of software at the same time, right? Well, and, and I mean, you really touched on, you know, UI there, uh, UI and UX. 
and not to not to bash anyone, but you know, most most times developers, programmers, it's not necessarily their primary concern. They're not experts in that. Field. Um, and while in today in college, that's more that's uh, covered better in developmental and uh, in, in you know programming classes. It's still not. I don't know. It's not quite quite there. You know. Um, what about for you? Do you have any experience um, helping projects out with your design work? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, there's been uh, a couple of Linux spins that have popped up actually through the Jupyter channel uh, that I've helped out with. Um, Pi Cluster was another one. A uh, guy had written uh, some clustering software for the Raspberry Pi. Um, helped him out with a logo. Um, you know, anyone that's ever come to me that said, hey, man, would you help me out? Absolutely. Uh, Armbian is another one, uh, the single board computer distro. Um, I you know, submitted 20 or so wallpapers. I, I think some of them are in there now. Some of them may not be in there now. I don't know. Uh, it's been it's been a bit since I've used, I never really used the desktop version of Armbian anyway. Um, but it's been a, a bit since I've checked that out. So there's been projects, and I'm sure there's plenty of others that I just don't, can't think of right off the top of my head. But, you know, I just jump in where I can jump in and help is really what it comes down to. Uh, interesting fact, uh, in the early, early days, uh, I did help do a lot of the UI, UX, and design work for ICQ. Oh, really? Of all things, yeah. <laughs> and how did you run into that? Um, I was on ICQ, and there was someone that was uh, talking about, you know, working and developing and, and working with ICQ. And uh, it turned into, oh, man, well, is there any way that I can help out? You know, do graphic stuff. That's often how it starts. And it was like, well, yeah, I'm the developer. I'm the guy that, that writes it. And I was like, what? <laughs> well, it's, yeah, let me work with you, you know. And that's kind of, you know, ICQ, you know, was was a was a big thing, right? It was like post-AOL Instant Messenger. Oh, it was massive. Stuff, you know, it so, um, you know, I had fun with that. But, you know, so anywhere I can contribute, it didn't necessarily need to be an open source project. But where I thought I could contribute or help out, I've always tried to do that. And I encourage anyone in the community to do that as well, like like we've been talking about with uh, documentation, UI, UX design. Developers aren't really concerned about that as much, but it's very important uh, because that takes uh, an amateur-looking piece of software um, to the next level as far as usability and design goes. And approachability. Uh, and, and quite often, like in the early days, of themes and stuff like that for Linux, they were horrible. <laughs> they were really bad, you know, like, uh, and I don't want to call any of the themes out because that's just mean, but um, where they would put the minimize or, or close or, uh, you know, just creatively, it's cool to see all of that, to see all of the different inner workings um, in the different ways that it could be laid out. But you quickly kind of realize a flow of what doesn't work, and I think that where where we're at in Linux right now is we're we're getting we're starting to step out of that slog to see like, you know what what does work, and I think for me, a lot of that comes from the web and the development of UI that is the web 2.0 mm-hmm. now with HTML5 and Node and and all of you know all of the different underlying technologies on the web now that you can create these beautiful interfaces strictly in a, in a web page and those are the developers that are working on Linux to do that design. 
So you're starting to see those people bring that back into Linux, that work that they do for their day job as a UI UX designer for this website. They're starting to funnel that back into Linux. And I absolutely agree. We're, we're, it's not pretty. It's not a pretty state. It's a lot better state than it was in, in the late 90s, but we're still not quite there yet. But that's one of the things that I think we'll see in the next five years really explode on Linux is, I hope to see anyway, is, is, is a, little, a little more professional level tools and a really dialed in UI UX design. Well, and those are, those are both related, right? Some, uh, some professionals are hesitant to dive into tools that are a little bit, or at least seem on the outside, a little bit um, rough around the edges, right? And like you and I, I think we just generally um, gravitate to some um, visuals that please us, right? And, and I think that's true of most people, even if they don't realize it consciously. But uh, that's definitely an area of growth that we can see um, coming up in the next five years would be amazing. Is And uh, Elementary is doing some cool work in there, and lots of other projects are as well. But uh, And those guys are, I, I appreciate those guys a lot. I'm a supporter of them, okay. so let that be a disclaimer. But um, I appreciate those guys a lot because they're doing their own thing. They're not bootstrapping it off of someone else. They're not... I mean, yes, it's Ubuntu, right? It's it's a base, it's a Debian base, whatever. Uh, but they've really taken it to the next level. Uh, they don't just pull a terminal; they write a terminal, right? They don't just pull a file manager; they write a file manager. But what I've noticed is they don't do that simply to say it's theirs. They do it, and then they iterate, and they're creating some stuff that other projects can. And they take from as well. they take a lot of lot of pride. I feel in what they do. They really dial in on the details that a lot of other distributions miss. Um, I could see how some say that it's kind of a walled garden, but I think to keep a consistent look across applications and to really make a overall good user experience, you need to provide a level of consistency through everything. So that's where I see that they really benefit in that they're doing their own thing. They take pride in what they do. Um, they don't necessarily have to wait around for somebody else to build it or make it. They'll just do it themselves. And I love that, you know, can-do attitude. And they just, look, it's going to take us a long time to do all this stuff that we want to do, but if we want to do it right, we should just do it ourselves. Um, it's very similar to their dark theme. Well, they could just rush and put something out and just, you know, put lipstick on a pig per se. They they aren't, right? They're actually going to take their time and really do a good job with it. They're, and it's so interesting to see because the minute details that they go through. And as a designer, the placement of an icon in a square if it's two pixels off, yep. I'm going to notice <laughs> yeah, it, right? For sure. <laughs> Those guys are pixel perfect at what they do with their UI and UX. And I think that, that helps to make that cohesive look. And that helps to increase that conversion rate of people from Windows to Linux because it looks more comfortable. It's, it's easier to navigate and find what you're looking for. Um, I think they've done a pretty good job with their documentation. Um, and their applications are dead simple to use. So there's got to be something to be said too for enjoying your computer experience, right? Absolutely. Like I think for those of us who started on on early operating systems, they were certainly capable, but it 
was sometimes a push to get them to do what you wanted, right? And these days, I feel like if you can enjoy your experience of working at your computer, because most of us spend most of our time trying to just get stuff done. Um, But if you can really love that experience, what a gift, right? Yeah. And uh, some of our distributions are doing an amazing job at that. Yeah. And and I would like to see more distributions step up and and do that that same level of detail and and, uh, and understanding how us as humans operate mm-hmm. these machines. So that really makes takes it to the different takes it to a different level uh, when you extrapolate that it's an op, you know that it yeah it's an operating system but it's a tool that we're using and and what's the most efficient way to use that tool? And what's the most efficient? Of psychology that goes absolutely. It, right? There's what's the most efficient place to put mm-hmm. these buttons mm-hmm. that's going to make the most sense so that your workflow it's like when you design a kitchen right you design it in a triangle such that you have a refrigerator your sink and your stove and you have that work triangle that you move through it's that same sort of scenario i think um, that they really they really work on cool um, that ice cube story made me smile quite a bit because it reminded me that um, oftentimes half the work is just showing up right? Mm -hmm. Like for you, all you said was, hey, can I help out? And that's your 50%. And then from there, all sorts of things tend to happen. Like um, often what has brought me to some of the coolest projects I've worked on is just saying, hey, I'm available and uh, let's chat. And, and, And sometimes that's surprising to people is to hear that you're just raising your hand and saying hello. Um, but uh, for our community, I feel like that's the crux of how the whole thing works. Absolutely. Yeah. If, if you, if you just make that, that initial, uh, attempt to reach out, you'll often be surprised how quickly a response comes in and how eager people are to work with you and, and want to, you know, help you navigate the system to maybe fix a problem you've seen in their software or um, just because you want to contribute where you can fall in line and, and help contribute. Well, and how approachable some of our like quasi superstars can be as well. Like yeah. they're, they're just people like you and I and, and everybody else who's, who's listening as well, right? Well, well absolutely. Just human beings first. I've, I've, I've yet to have that, uh, what do they call it, the rock star syndrome. Right. When you, like, you meet your rock star, your idol, and they're just such a jerk. Uh, I've yet to run into that in anyone in the Linux community. They've right. always been really open and willing to talk and um, willing to share, you know, provided it's information they can share. And sometimes if it's information they can't, they still share it. But, uh, you know, to, to find people that you can just relate to that are down to earth, um, and like you said, are just people like you and I. Yeah, that's such an experience you can have at some of these Linux festivals, right, is is meeting people and realizing that you can just have conversations with them. Um, some of us get flustered because we've been, you know, listening to these people online for a long time or admiring the code they've written or, or whatever it may right. be, but... Uh, well, then I feel that, you know, a lot of times you have the naysayers or the trolls that are out there okay. in the community. Um, and I feel that quite often they've not been to one of these events. Oh, really? That if, if they would go to one of these events, I feel uh, that might change perception a little bit in, in how they interact online uh, once they realize that, you know, and this is just my personal feeling about it. You know, I don't know that this is true, but I just, I, I, if they got out there, and didn't stay trapped, you know, in the basement. Right. But actually got out there and, and social, you know, did a little socializing and, and got to meet some of these people uh, and realized that while they might not necessarily agree on their distro of choice, 
they do agree on this one part, you know, and then that might lead them to meeting the developer that developed this one part that they really like, you know, so, um, and we'll just make them a more a part of the community and less likely to just trash people and projects for the sake of trashing people and projects. Of course. Uh, how, how early, because you jumped into Linux, uh, let's just say a few years ago, uh, quite a few years ago, how early was your first um, conference? Do you remember? I don't remember the date. It was DEF CON 21. Okay. Uh, was the first conference that I went to. Um, was it, um, what was the impetus? Was it close to home? Was it uh, lots of... My roommate that had gotten me into Linux, we had talked about it for years and years. He had moved up to, to Virginia. We had talked about it for years and years and years to go to DEF CON one year. Just to go check it out. Dude, we got to go to DEF CON. Yeah. We got to go. We got to check it out. And so uh, years went by, and he had gotten a really good job. And he reached out to me, and he was like, hey, dude, let's go to DEF CON. And I was like, man, you know, I don't – I'm working in a newspaper. I'm not making a lot of money here. I don't really have that expendable income. He's like, look, man, I've, I've got you. He's like, just bring money to spend. I've got your flight covered. Wow. Just come over here. I've got your That's ticket paid gift. for. Nice. And uh, he was a great guy, great guy. And and so I did, you know, flew out. And that was a different kind of conference. Um, I don't think that that's necessarily the first conference someone mm-hmm. should go to unless you're really into InfoSec and that really is your thing. I mean, there's there's tons of nice people, and I met some really great people at that conference. Electric Sheep, I met one of their publishers there. Uh for for that for that company that um, they were a uh, book distributor, uh, book publisher, um, and I've got to meet a few friends that I'd known on IRC for years. Oh, that's that's always you know, so a great. That's always cool, it? right? Like to put actual faces to, to names and stuff, and um, and so it was really it was really a, an eye opening experience. How many people went to the conference that big? Because it was three or four thousand people. Right. You know, then it's probably grown to ten thousand now. You know. Um, and then after that was actually uh, Linux Fest Northwest. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So a bit of a different feel between the two. Absolutely. And, you know, Linux Fest Northwest is definitely, you know, Jupiter's backyard. Yep. So a lot of um, listeners and friends and guests and everybody, you know, shows up to that conference. Uh, and I'd been meaning to, you know, make it up here for years. And I'd even told Angela, you know, for years and years that, you know, I, I must have been five years at least. That I'd be, I want to go up to <laughs> But I was, always, you know, always just broke, right? And I, I couldn't couldn't afford to do that. Yeah, it's not easy um, for sure. And then whenever I finally decided, you know what, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to pay, you know, pull the money out of my own pocket and go. Um, this is before I was working for Linux Academy even. I just decided I'd talked about it for so many years. Let me just do it. Um, so that's what I did. And then it just so happened that things fell into place and I got hired with Linux Academy, but let it be known that they didn't expense my Linux Fest Northwest. Right. You You're know, already tickets. committed. I'm sure that they would if I'd <laughs> asked them to, if I was, you know, pleaded with Anthony, but not that it was a big deal because I would have, I would have paid my hard earned money to go anyway because it was such a great experience. Um, and Texas Linux Fest is another one that's very similar to that. It's real small. Um, a lot of good people. You get that, you know, just having that moment to, to go sit down with, uh, like-minded individuals, whether they be fans of the show or not, or, or never even heard of the show, but to be able to, you know, grill food for them or uh, <laughs> grill, the, grill the brats for them or <laughs> or go sit down at dinner, sit down at lunch with them and just, you know, have these table conversations in, in, in almost like a hallway track, but you get to, you know, it's a little more intimate and you get to meet them, you get to understand them a little bit better. Um, 
And a lot of times, especially if it's someone that you've known online, you can make that connection in their dialect, in their tone, in the way that they chat as to the type of person that they are. And so, you know, I find that really amusing um, in in how you can can almost, by not knowing someone, not never have seen their face, but knowing how they chat, you could hear someone off in the corner talking and almost know exactly who that is. And walk up to them and be like, is your name, you know, and they're like, yeah, that's me, you know, because that's, you pick up on these things when you've been in a community for so long and in all these years and you see these different names and these different conversations going past. Of course. Our personalities are transparent. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. There's something really fun about, about, um, just meeting people in person. And I know the internet is an amazing thing and it's the only reason that, you know, Linux even exists, but, um, but there's this, um, sort of stat that I came across recently, which is that um, to create rapport, if you can do that almost like every 18 months, then you just keep your relationships really going. And And I think with the shows that we do, like Linux Unplugged, being sort of a virtual users group that people can hang out at, that has a certain power, certainly online. Um, but meeting people in person, there's nothing. And we've said that here on the network repeatedly. There's just nothing like it. So if, if you can do it, you know, in a room with six people, uh, or you know something like Linux Fest Northwest, or or anywhere really, um, it's so worth it. Or or create one yourself. Yeah, you know, please. A do. lot of time, a lot of times on uh, Meetup, uh, if you sign up for Meetup, and and you should because Jupiter has stuff going on there all the time. But if you sign up for the Meetup page, um, it will tell you in your area people that have like minded interests. So whenever you set up your profile per se, you know, I've got in there that I'm open source Linux and it will let me know that, you know, there's 15 people in my 40 mile radius that are into Linux. With similar interests. Right. With similar interests. So, you know, I encourage those people that might be on the line, on the fence about, you know, participating is just trying to start your own thing, right? Like even if there's two people in your town and you can meet up over coffee and talk about Linux and hash it out, you know, that, that, that's just, you know, it's it's starting a budding in a community, a little local community there. Um, and the next thing you know, it'll ripple and, and you'll have 15 people and you'll have to figure out at the restaurant if they'll let you, you know, have a big enough table for everybody right. and there's power strips there. Right. Or, um, or if you just have a local computer club and they'll give you five minutes to talk about Linux. And that's what I did for the longest. Um, we had a local computer club and thanks to Canonical back in the day, they would send out the DVDs. And uh, I think they would send you one or two. But if you wanted more, you would have to fill out a form and request them. So every time a new distro dropped, uh, I would go and I would fill out the form and I would get 25 copies so that, and I would get 25 of each of desktop and server so that whenever I went to my Linux or my computer users group, it was primarily a Windows user group, um, I could have my little five, 10 minutes of Linux and pass out, you know, DVDs of, you know, Ubuntu. Uh, and, and on several occasions I had, you know, these guys that have been using windows for years and years and years trying Linux for the first time, you know, and guys that, you know, they're 70 years old, man, that are trying Linux for the first time. And then they come back to me and they're like, this is so great. Yeah. You know, I can't believe I've never used this before. Um, and then, you know, then they want to learn how to dual boot because there's that one piece of software they still have to use, QuickBooks or whatever it may be, right? That they, And then so you, you, you kind of guide them down the dual booting path. And, and then, you know, so I've seen just that sort of stuff organically grow out of any type of 
community meetup, any sort of technology-related meetup. If you're a, a ham radio operator, your ham users group, bring something in there about the Raspberry Pi. Chances uh, are if you're interested in it and you're at one of these groups, there's there's some like-minded people in this group, right? And, and so, I think that circles back around to like what we were talking about, just being a tinker and a right. hobbyist and, and loving that sort of work is – it doesn't really matter what it is, right? Like the, it could be, it could be your local photography group, right? And you could be talking to them about uh, Darktable, which you know, uh, know that you've done. Um, you know, so any little area that you can step in and maybe provide the community or help the community or encourage people to try out Linux, um, you know, take that opportunity and run with it. You know, the least someone's going to say is, "Man, I hate Linux." I'm never going to install it or use it again. And surely someone will say, well, try this other Linux. <laughs> Absolutely. That's <laughs> right. what I, well, you might like this one better. But, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, giving those people the opportunity to do that is is, uh, is a way that we can all kind of give back. That's cool. Uh, in a way that, that doesn't cost us anything. It's such a ch- simple gesture, but it can change someone's Absolutely. life, right, in, in some sense. Absolutely. Um, someone did it for you, and you're passing it on. Exactly. Uh, there must be a real pride for you now when you, like, think back on those experiences and you're you're kind of a linux advocate for years and years now yeah i mean it is i i I appreciate linux i appreciate how far it's come um and and there is a sense of pride that it's it's becoming more acceptable it's it's becoming uh, more adopted on the desktop Uh, i like to see that i like to see that all you know all this hard work is being done on the desktop um but there's so much other interesting and cool work being done now with containerizations and uh, you know deployment and orchestrations and uh, and I'm still like that's where I'm at right now right and I'm I'm lost in that bubble I'm trying to figure it out and trying to learn that and where I can go with that but it's always an adventure and it continues to be an adventure for me and I think that that's that's why I'll be a Linux advocate for life. You know, I I can't quit you, Linux. <laughs> you got me. You got me. <laughs> well, yeah, and and I think, at least in my own experience, what has really gotten me in recent years is the the community, right? And the people here is okay. Linux is a cool piece of software I've been using for a while uh, to do some cool things, but um, couple that with the people who are involved and. Um, you know, that's never an experience that I had had with any previous software I've used. You had a little bit with ICQ, right? Right, right. Um, but um, there's just this, there's a real power in, in any sphere of collaboration. And I feel like Linux has this collaboration that you just can't get away from. You have to be a little bit open to it to, to first take that first step. But once you're in it, it's like, it's totally grabs you and you can't let go. Yeah, you wormhole into it, right? Like you can't. But in the best possible way. In the way, best right? possible way. Like, it, yeah, I mean, it just, it, it sucks you in and, and, and definitely uh, encourages you to continue to educate yourself. And, yeah. and then in most instances, most people, users that I've, you know, been around, it encourages them to give back at some point. Uh, whether that just be helping somebody in an IRC channel or whatever, and so the more the more that we develop that community, I think also adds a layer of transparency that you don't have with some of the other competitors out there in the market, whether that be Mac OS or or Windows or whomever. Uh, as an example, I guess when when the zero day recently was dropped for KDE, um, which look it's Black Hat Week. 
guys, of course, there's going to be zero days that people have been holding on to because that's a level of pride for them, right? Yeah. That, that, man, I've managed to pop this thing and like nobody knows about it and it's going to be the biggest zero day that anyone's ever seen. There's a level of pride about Which that. Which is really and, cool in itself. And I get right? that, but there's also a level of responsibility that you should take in that. And, and most, uh, you know, infosec people understand that, that, that there's... Uh, a level of respect you should extend to the vendor of the software to try and, you know, help them, you know, alleviate this bug um, and give them time. But also if that vendor doesn't act on it, then then there's a reasoning. But I think just to drop something for the sake of dropping it. For your just, own vanity. For your own vanity. Yeah. Is, is just, it's just not the right way to do things. Yeah, I think uh, there's a vendor responsibility there to react as well, right? If someone comes to you with something... Um, there's a real responsibility to say, yes, we see you. Yeah, we accept that our software can have holes because we've seen some software um, sort of not even take that as a possibility. Um, and the more that kind of discussion happens in both directions and those collaborations happen in both directions, the more that'll propagate to um, more and more projects. Uh, you know, that, that is such a necessary feedback loop that has been sort of ignored for a little while. Well, and you saw when the guy dropped his zero day how quickly people were to respond with, dude, that's not cool. Like, I mean, it's not that there shouldn't be a CBE issued and that we shouldn't know about it, and if that's the way that it needs to be disclosed, that's fine. Um, I would personally rather you have talked to KDE and maybe KDE, you know, tried to work on something. If not, then, you know, they exposed it in a timely manner so that people could take mitigations into place. But... Um, yeah, you're just putting some people at risk yeah. for no reason. So, right? so there's no, you know, so there's good sides and bad sides to it, right? But uh, I think you just have to find that line um, of respect. I think is really what it comes down to: respecting one another, respecting each other's communities. If you're a dead set arch user, you shouldn't beat up on the Ubuntu guys. We're all, we're all know, good people. You may need them one day when you're sitting in front of an Ubuntu box <laughs> and on, on a on a site where you're working, and all you do is arch. And they're banging their head because they can't figure it out. You may need your Ubuntu friend to reach out to 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 get you over that hump. To you know, and I've I've helped friends like that myself. You know, I've never been in IT, but I've friends have reached out to me like, dude, I'm trying to configure the Sama server at work and I can't get it to work. You know, I'm like, well, let me see your your SMB conf and let me look it over for you. You know, and then oh well, this is where it's at, dude, because you there wasn't a bracket here or whatever it was, and that's why it wasn't working. You know, and but I don't do that, but I'm willing to, you know, help out where I can. And and I think that I'm just a graphics dude, but if I can help this guy with his 500-seat Samba server, yeah. you know, and help him get rolling, then, dude, that's awesome. Well, and that's what I find is such an important thing is like, okay, you're, you just said it, you're just a graphics guy. But what's really intriguing to me, and actually we share maybe a similar history here, is that um, – we both come from a sort of a creative background, but we have this underlying interest in technology and in, you know, um, electronics generally, I think, and how computers work and uh, how the software interacts with that and how the people affect it. Uh, and yet you and I are primarily graphic artists, which you don't typically see as, you know, Linux desktop users. Um, so it's, it's, that to me is really cool. Yeah, well, in the fact that out of this community of thousands and thousands of people that you and I are sitting right here in front of one another as creatives that do use Linux yeah. 
and we're talking about it, you know, um, that really shows to me the diversity of the Lynx community. And, and like we were talking earlier about uh, just the various different jobs that everyone in the Linux community holds, uh, whether that be uh, managing satellites that are orbiting, whether right. that be working for SpaceX, whether that be, you know, whatever they're doing, you know, that uh, we all kind of have that that continual hunt for something that, that to fill kind of a void of curiosity, I guess is the best way to put it, you know. Um, and that same level of curiosity just extends through to the point where, yeah, you're going to have graphic artists and photographers and designers that use Linux and you will run into them if you're on the fence about being in that community because you don't think that there are like-minded people there. I oh, guarantee you there are. Yeah, for sure. You know, so. We're, we're fewer, but yeah. we're here, right? For now. Yeah, yeah. We're fewer for there now. <laughs> and in five years, once the UI and UX kicks off, then then I'm sure we'll get a, a whole real new realm of, mm-hmm. of uh, new blood coming in. You know, because this is kind of a final frontier for for UI and UX design that really just hasn't been mastered yet. Oh, really? Um, I mean, there you know, we we've got good stuff, but it's just if there's a place that you really want to cut your teeth and show what you can do, um, Linux is that place, and I think that that's evident by distributions like um, Anthegros and and Elementary and Ubuntu and and everybody that puts all this hard work into. Um, into their distributions and of course KDE, GNOME, the XFC guys, you know, everybody that puts their work into their DEs right on top of these distributions. So if you're really looking to cut your teeth in your designer and you want to do that sort of stuff, that's that'd be a good place for you. What's really cool about that too is that um, typically we, you know, in the the world, we're told that we have to get a job to um, increase our experiences. But in this case, you can just contribute to a project and increase your skill sets, your experiences. You can get mentored, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's a place that's not tied to uh, a profession, which typically takes, you know, eight hours out of your day. But it's stuff you can do on the side if you have time or interest or on the weekends or whatever and still increase your skill set. And there's a huge amount of space for you to grow in these mm-hmm. projects. And so as, as a way to accelerate your learning and accelerate your experiences, like what a better place. Well, it's a great thing to add to your resume Bring it on. i mean if somebody you know came to me right now and said hey dude look i've designed this linux distribution i did it all myself what do you think um if it was if it was mind-blowing you know if it was something i would i would say yeah dude you, you really got some talent here you've really got something here and if it wasn't i wouldn't beat them up about it right i would maybe direct them into what I think would be a better solution to solve these problems or do it this way or do it that way and let them do their own thing. And that's part about the part about being creative, but it's really something that you can put on your resume. It's something that you can show. It's something that, um, other people will appreciate. And it's projects like that, that have a level of life after death, right? Like whenever you're dead, that, project is still going to live on it may get forked and turned into something else later down the road um you know but i'm sure ian from debian never thought debian would be what it is and what it's grown into and what it's the base for now you know um so a lot of the stuff that you create now is going to live past you and i think that's interesting that is a very powerful thought it's like a micro legacy right some of the work that you create 
I mean, it's used by others and transformed and continues to grow. Exactly. And uh, you've got your DNA, DNA in there. Yeah. I mean, whenever, you know, whenever Linus goes or whatever, I mean, there's, you know, there's going to be code from, like I said, I mean, it, it's part, the, the community is what makes the distribution, is what makes the Linux. And there's a little bit of that community, you know, in your distribution that you're running, right? There could be 30,000 people that have touched the distribution that you're running. It would be know? such a curious metric, right, to it know would how be. many fingers have touched. And as, a, as like a marketing guy, too, you oh, know, man. I mean, that's that's numbers I would really love to, <laughs> yeah. to learn. But it, I guess it would be trying to figure those numbers out would be the tough part. I'm fine to just imagine them. That's cool, too. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Cheese. You're welcome. <laughs>